Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Sharissa Tarosian. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then I'm very excited about what we have to share. Our loving Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you that we can be here today to worship you. And as we begin studying the Bible together just now, we want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Please, Lord, please speak through me this morning. May this message be for us today. May Jesus be lifted up and may you encourage our faith. And this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. For the longest time, Israel had been journeying to the promised land. And now at last, by God's grace, they were finally on its borders again. But there was just one city that was in front of them and it barred their way into Canaan. This massive fortress of Jericho, it stood astride the promised land, like the entrance to the promised land between Israel and all that God had promised them. Since the time of Abraham, this particular city had been growing, growing not only in size as a fortification, but Jericho had been growing also in wickedness. We understand from history and we understand from the Bible that it was filled with every kind of immorality that you could think of. They were cruel to their children. They would offer them as burnt sacrifices to their pagan gods. It was occultic. This city was a city that Satan was going to use to try to discourage God's people from entering their promised possession. And barely novices in the art of war, Israel had never encountered a city like this before, and Joshua knew it. He knew they would need help, and so that's where we pick up our story today in the book of Joshua. Come with me to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, and notice what the Bible says here in verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Friends, the Bible tells us that one day Joshua, he withdraws from the camp of Israel to have a sweet hour of prayer. Actually, that's from the spirit of prophecy. She says he came aside to pray and to meditate when suddenly he's startled as he looks up and he sees a mighty warrior standing in front of him. Joshua doesn't draw his sword because he, he's sharp enough to know that if this man wanted to knock him out, he would have struck him already. And so he asks this warrior a very important question that he thinks, are you a friend or a foe of Israel? And notice what the response is. He said, no, that is neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This warrior 
walks into the scene and he doesn't take sides, he takes over. Who is this man that meets Joshua here on this particular occasion? Well, we know one thing straight off. He is not an angel because the angels of God never accept worship. As we learned last night, angels know they're created, so they do not receive worship if they're from the Lord. But the second thing that gives him away is this warrior instructs Joshua to take off his shoes. And we've heard that somewhere before. In fact, Precious took us back to the story of Moses. When Moses was at the burning bush, God spoke to him and God said, remove your shoes. This is exciting, friends, because this mighty warrior was Jesus. Think about this glorious truth for just a moment. The commander of the army of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He commands all the angel armies of heaven. Literally in front of Joshua stood the strength of God in all heaven. And I love how when Jesus meets Joshua, he introduces himself as one who is ready for battle. He is ready to defend. He is ready to fight. And in our story, he's about to wage war on the devil and on this city. Undone and completely overcome. By this realization, the Bible tells us Joshua, he formally introduced in this book as the servant of Moses. Now Joshua assumes the posture of a servant and he falls down and bows low at the feet of Jesus. Did you realize, as I do when I read this, that we must first be overcome by the majesty and the glory and holiness and lovingness of God before we can overcome the battle of Jericho that Joshua fought, it was actually fought right here. You see, the real obstacle for Jericho, as it is for all of us, it actually wasn't the walls. For Joshua, the real battle was in surrendering his heart to be the servant of the Lord. And that is so true. You know from history, Alexander the Great, we're told, he conquered the whole of the then known world by the ripe old age of 30 but he died at 32, a slave to himself because he conquered everyone else, but he could not conquer himself. He died a slave to alcohol. And Joshua, in his conversation with the commander of the Lord's army, he realizes the question, are you with us or against us? That is not the important one. The important one was this, am I with him? Jesus had been longing to bring his people to this promised land. And now at last, here was Joshua on its borders, ready and willing to do his will. Jesus was excited. And mark this, friends, that when we obey God, we enable him to work closely with us and for us. Notice what it says now in chapter 6. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty man of valor. Pause. Do you like how God wraps his gifts? <laughs> he says to Joshua, Here, I'm giving you this city. It's yours. Take it. And Joshua looks, and it still remains a tight fortress that looks like needs overcoming. Friends, God was inviting Joshua to look at the obstacle in front of him through his eyes, to see what he sees. You see, in order for us to be victorious, we must see things the way God sees them. And how do we do this? Where does this 2020 vision come from? 
oh, we look at the life of Joshua and we see it right here. Number one, it comes from being in God's presence as Joshua was. You see, when we know the commander of the armies of the Lord and when we're in his presence, then because he lives, we can face tomorrow. It also comes from submitting to God's purpose as Joshua did. You see, when you know the commander of the army of the Lord, if he says go, you go, because you know he loves and cares for you. And you'll want to meditate on his word to you because you know who he is. It comes from being in his presence. It comes from submitting to his purpose. And number three, it comes from believing what God says. When you accept the commander of the army of the Lord as your commander too, then his promises will spur you on to great exploits for his kingdom. God knew what Joshua may not have fully realized. God knew the reason this city was so tightly shut up was because the people inside of it were terrified of the children of Israel. In fact, they had heard about how this people had apparently crossed the Red Sea, walked on dry ground, God was with this people. Maybe even the prophetic words of Balaam had reached their ears, how Balaam had prophesied. He didn't want to say this, but he said it under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He said the shout of a king is among this people. And Jericho knew it, and they were terrified. Notice what it says, verse 3. God continues. He says, you shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. I don't know about you, but as I read this, these instructions read to me more like a religious ritual than a battle plan. Imagine for a moment that you're an Israelite soldier, and imagine you have little experience, that's the case for you, but you are on the borders of this promised land, and entering into this place is your dream come true. This is the land flowing with so good and honey. (laughs) This is the land whose clusters of grapes are so large it takes two men just to carry one cluster. This is the land whose inhabitants made your parents feel like grasshoppers. But you're the next generation, a new generation. And although you're not battle tested, you are battle worthy. And so you huddle together with all the thousands in Israel, your closest buddies, ready to receive your marching orders from General Joshua, who gets them straight from God. And what does he say? As you wait to hear it, you're thinking in your heart, I hope I've got what it takes to conquer this. I've not done this before. What am I going to do? And as you listen to what Joshua says, he tells you that all God wants you to do is to march around the city and then eventually shout. And you think to yourself, this is not beyond me. I can do this. I am good at walking in circles. I have been walking in circles for 40 years. But even so, from a human point of view, this 
would have been useless. It sounds useless to do this. I mean, imagine any of us walking up to the Great Wall of China and expecting it to fall if we shout. And notice how quietly this was supposed to be done in verse 10. Joshua uh, had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. God's battle plan wasn't in any military manual of the day, but God's ways are not man's ways. And even though they're not our ways, they're always right. And often his ways will stain our pride. And so we imagine further on that first day as we marched around the city of Jericho, day one, not a sound but the steady tread of feet in marching order can be heard and the peal of trumpet blasts echoes throughout the hills and in the streets of Jericho. And when the circuit on day one is finished, you come back to the camp that night, you lie down at night after having inspected every inch and if that, of that long, strong wall that stretched way up high into the sky and all you can do that night when you put your head to the pillow is count bricks and dream of walls. But it doesn't matter because you know that you're doing what God told you to do. Notice what happens. Day 2, verse 12. And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Day 2 comes. And I love how nothing escapes God's notice here. The Bible says he wakes up early to do the will of God and he does the same thing. He is eager to do it all over again. Again they march. Again they come back, nothing happens. Day three, again they march and nothing happens. Day four, again they march and nothing happens. I admire the persistency of this congregation. This was different to the one that had perished in the wilderness. For six days they marched without a murmur of wasted time or even the slightest sign of success. You see, they weren't marching to get their steps up. <laughs> Usually when I preach, I hold it with this hand so that I get steps on my, uh, when I do amen, but not today, being honest. <laughs> see, the, the thing that is most remarkable about this story is that this is one of the most remarkable stories of united obedience in the Bible. The demonstration of faith is always obedience. In fact, the proclamation of the gospel, when you think about it, we to proclaim, call people to repent and believe, that comes to us in command mode. And salvation comes to us as we respond in obedience to God's command, God's call to repent and believe. And everything after we come to Jesus in the walk of the Christian life is obedience after that. It's obeying what God has commanded. And it's interesting to me as I read this passage that the order in which they were to march around Jericho is mentioned four times. Once by God, once by Joshua to the people, and twice in the narrative of the story. In fact, to show you what I'm talking about, verse 13. The Bible says, Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. So just in case you missed it, this is the order. 
armed men out front, priests blowing trumpets after that, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and then it's followed by a rear guard. Why does God stress this particular order? I love it. Because God places himself in the center of this battle. He is the middle of the march. He's the centerpiece of the conquest. The ark wasn't just another piece of furniture. The ark contained the law of God. It contained a bowl of manna. It contained the rod of Aaron that had budded. The ark was a very symbol of God's presence amongst his people. And God was trying to communicate visually to his people that he was in charge of overcoming this city. He was with them. And by the way, the Old Testament name for Jesus is Joshua. That's right. The Old Testament name for Jesus is Joshua. Joshua means God says it's the same meaning as the name of Jesus. And so literally Old Testament Joshua points us to Jesus Christ who leads us into victory. And so whenever you sing the song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, you remember that the Joshua who fit the battle was Jesus. Well, 40 years prior to this moment, Israel had been defeated by the very sight of these walls. As we march through life, we see walls. And we're good at seeing walls. I know I am. What walls are you staring at today? Sometimes we face problems in life, and the more we look at them, the bigger they get. Sometimes these walls come to us in the face of a loved one, who, or a friend who seems so walled up to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, you think it'll never reach their heart. They're just like Jericho. They will not accept, not interested. Other times, our Jericho walls look like addictions we can't break, habits that keep us enslaved. Perhaps it's a relationship struggle that just seems like a Jericho that you cannot overcome. Financial struggles, maybe and often, in the form of a health crisis. These walls come up in our lives. These problems are our Jericho walls, and the more we study them, the more we stare at them, the bigger they get, and the more complex they grow. Remember, studying walls will always send us back in defeat. But if we look to Jesus, if we focus on him, if we stay in Christ, then we shall overcome them. Because there is no weapon that is fashioned against him that can prosper. The battle belongs to him. And so, friend, I don't know what falls, what walls you're facing this morning. But if you're facing a Jericho today, remember what God has done for you in the past. This is what the Israelites had to do. Remind themselves of God's deliverance in the past. Has he ever let you down? No. He's always come through for you and he will not, he won't let you down now. Allow God to remove anything from your life that's going to hinder his work in your life or bring dishonor to his name. And friend, pray, 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 pray. Because when we pray, we are reminded in prayer that God is bigger than those walls. And if when you get off your knees, the walls still look bigger than God, get back on your knees and stay there until God is bigger than the walls. Someone once said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, but they are helpless against our prayers. In the office last, this past week, I was speaking with someone whose um, husband is an unbeliever. 
And she said these words, and I thought I admired her courage. She said, she said, I'm praying. His mom's praying. He doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> I think of a couple who we saw in this very font in this church, Joan and Tommy Sims. They got baptized. Well, he was baptized at the age of 90. Was it 91? 90. Joan had prayed for him for 70 years before he gave his heart to the Lord in baptism. So pray. Walls come down, and we pray them down as we pray. And then we need to grow up. <laughs> we need to do what's right. You see, this generation had grown up. They'd learnt from the previous generation. they learnt from their mistakes, and they weren't going to make them. And they chose to surrender to the commander of the army of the Lord. We can trust him. His promises are like bank checks. We just have to cash them in and then march. This is how we overcome by daily looking to Jesus, we overcome. And I think the more that these people circled that city as they marched around it, the more and more convinced they became that they could not conquer Jericho, but God would have to give it to them. So we read verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, they marched around the city seven times. There was no sleeping in on the seventh day. Just say that. <laughs> Just let that sit. They had a long 10,000 plus step journey ahead of them. And they wanted to do it. They were eager to do it. In fact, the Holy Spirit includes it twice in Scripture. They were going to march seven times. And Mrs. White, she talks about this, and I love how she describes it. It's like a movie as you read it. She says, The watchers on the walls looked with rising fear as the first circuit ended. And then there followed a second, then a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. And notice verse 16. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. As Joshua gives... The command to shout as he gives instructions concerning the destruction of this wicked city. He remembers the report of the spies. And he remembers how in the middle of, well, not in the middle, in this wicked city, in its strongest part, the walls, was a harlot living in an apartment in the wall of Jericho who had heard about God and believed in him. There should have been a louder amen to that. <laughs> this is amazing. When sin is at its strongest, their grace superabounds. Verse 20, the Bible says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Let me read it to you from Spirit of Prophecy, like the movie I told you it sounds. Suddenly the vast army halts. 
The trumpets break forth in a blast that shakes the very earth. The united voices of all Israel rend the air with a mighty shout. The walls of solid stone with their massive towers and battlements totter and heave from their foundations and with a crash like a thousand thunders fall in shapeless ruin to the earth. The inhabitants and the army of the enemy paralyzed with terror and amazement offer no resistance and Israel marches in and takes captive the mighty city of Jericho. Amazing victory. And we read it all summarized in one verse in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30. The Bible says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Faith is the victory. I like what the girls said here this morning. They said that's what their take-home moment was from last night, and that can be the take-home today too. Faith is the victory. And had the Israelites stopped just one round short of what God had called them to do, perhaps marched around it five times and said, this is too much, we've had enough, they would have missed out and forfeited the victory that God was giving to them. The amazing thing about this battle is that it wasn't a battle. God did it all. He could have said to the children, sit tight. Don't do anything. Just step back. Watch me. I'm just going to blow this thing over and you can walk in. But as I read it, I realize that when we cling to God's promises, it doesn't equal doing nothing. It means diligently preparing for God to fulfill his word. It means careful discipline. It means patient repetition. It means bold rejoicing when God gives you the call to do it. It means complete obedience. And it means intentional compassion. Faith is active. It's only alive if it moves. Amen. <laughs> Verse 23. And the young men who had been spies, went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Actually, when I read it, I think of them as like Bible workers going out to bring out someone from this city that was doomed to destruction. Germany actually conducted an excavation of the ancient ruins of Babylon a German excavation team. And uh, they discovered that the whole wall had fallen down, except for one small portion of it that appeared to have stood, even though everything else fell. When the walls of Jericho fell, the house of Rahab stood. And it's a beautiful story. In fact, the Bible doesn't try to cover up this woman's sordid past. Five times we are told that she was a harlot. You know, Hollywood has glamorized prostitution so that it doesn't seem ugly to us anymore. But sexual sin will always leave a, a, a deep scar on the soul. And I am sure that as Rahab lived her life, she had thought and given up any hope of ever turning her life around. But praise God, he had other plans for her. You see, God saves from the guttermost to the uttermost all who come to him. Her faith, when she heard about the God who was with Israel, when she heard about what this 
people were doing because of God being with them. The Bible tells us she believed her faith caused her to welcome the spies into her home, to send them off safely when they were coming for them to try and catch them. She hung a scarlet cord in her window and she chose to stake her entire future on the hope that God would do the impossible. And it's interesting because Rahab was not the only person in Jericho who believed God was with them. In fact, others did too. In fact, this was the reason why the whole city was shut up and locked up because they knew that God was with this people and they were scared of them. But here's the thing. They heard the same things. They knew the same things, but they did nothing about it. Only Rahab responded. You and I are not saved by sitting on a fence. As Pastor Gary Blanchard would tell us, he'd say, the devil owns the fence. He can't sit on it. We mightn't be a harlot here today, but there is no safety in hearing God's word and doing nothing. God calls for you and I to live the gospel. God wants for you and I to be a Nike church that just does it for Jesus. Amen? God didn't just save Rahab. The Bible goes on to tell us that after he saved her from destruction, she fell in love with the son of a leader of the tribe of Judah. And they had a son named Boaz. And Boaz grew up and he fell in love with a woman named Ruth. And they had a son and they named him Obed. And Obed, he had a love story too. And he had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David who became king of Israel. Then, if this is hard enough to believe, the Bible tells us hundreds of years later, uh, hundreds of years after this, her name shows up on the first page of the genealogy of Christ. This prostitute from Jericho was part of Jesus' family tree. Now we know what's so amazing about God's grace. Hebrews tells us straight after the fall of Jericho in verse 31 of chapter 11 says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. She's included in the Hebrews hall of faith. She's right there with Noah, Abraham, Moses and all the other heroes of faith. Oh, perfect redemption. The purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And if we love Jesus today, and if we know him as we should, we heard last night, we don't want to be deceived. But if we truly know him, then one day I believe we will meet her in heaven. Only there she will not be called Rahab the harlot. Like you, she's going to have a new name. And we will all be known as the children of God. Well, I want to land this because I see the clocks going and we have so much to look forward to today. But friends, like Jericho of old, the Bible tells us that there is another city at the end of time that is committed by God to destruction. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. And God has a message of warning that must be given to the whole world. When John first heard this message, he saw it being carried in the midst of heaven by three angels that were hurtling through space. They were driven by an urgency to proclaim God's truth 
expose Satan's lies and call the world to follow Jesus. And friends, God is calling you. He's calling me to march with this message, this gospel message firmly on our feet around the whole world. And as the march was reinforced on the seventh day through repetition, so too the Bible tells us that there will be a fourth angel that will unite with those three angels and strengthen the proclamation of that three angels message with a loud voice saying, come out of her, my people. God has his people in end time Jericho like Rahab too. Every day as we are praying for rain here in our drought-stricken country of Australia, we may not see rain on the forecast on the news, but the Bible tells us that there is a drenching rain ahead for God's people. It's called the latter rain. You see, when this fourth angel comes and unites with the three angels, which is a time I believe not far ahead from where we are now, the Holy Spirit will be poured out as the latter rain, and it will bring a wonderful harvest for God's kingdom to fruition. And as this drenching rain of the Holy Spirit will come, God's people, that's you, will be empowered to give a loud cry, a great shout, just like they did in the taking of Jericho. This is how God's going to finish his great work of proclamation. This is how it's going to wrap up. And so you and I must be daily praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the form of that early rain. That's now we can receive him into our hearts day by day so that we can be ready for that promised latter rain when it comes. And also in the same way that the narrative shows a deliberate climactic buildup to the destruction of Jericho. I mean, once every day, and then on the seventh day, seven times. So too, we can expect in God's closing drama that there will be a climactic buildup concerning God's seventh day Sabbath as well. You see, the chess pieces of prophecy are moving into place. In fact, I don't know if you've been watching, but Kanye West, okay, he released a CD. And one of the songs on his CD is called Closed on Sundays. We see on the news, we see march, uh, protesters marching, pushing for their governments to do something about climate change. Perhaps they will soon say, why don't we have a day of rest? We need to have a day of rest for our planet. You can see all of these things are moving into line. And as we see these things happening, as the battle belonged to the Lord in the time of Joshua, the battle still belongs to Jesus today. So we can be confident as we proclaim this message that it will triumph because it is God's. I've been reading and in the spirit of prophecy as the fires have been ravaging our, our state and Queensland too. I found so many things that she says about fire in the end of time. Let me just read this to you. And if it doesn't shake you up like it does me, Ah, there are others you can read. The judgments of God are in the land. The wars and rumors of wars, the destruction by fire and flood. Say clearly that the time of trouble, which is to increase until the end, is very near at hand. Soon grievous troubles will arise among the nations, troubles that will not cease until Jesus comes. As never before, we need to press together, serving him, who has prepared his throne in the heavens and whose kingdom ruleth over all. God has not forsaken his people, listen, and our strength lies in not forsaking him.
Remember Rahab agreed to hang a scarlet cord in her, ho- in her window. And then she brought everyone that she could, her family, into that house. And all who were in the house that had the cord in the window were saved. That scarlet cord reminds us of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Her entire family was saved because it came under that cord. Friends, our families are saved as they come under the blood of Jesus. That's the power of the blood. So as we wrap up, how can we face our Jerichos and conquer them? Well, we look to Jesus. Hebrews 11, sorry, 12 verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He starts it. He finishes it. He's the captain of our salvation. We simply have to keep our eyes on him. You see, all who have been given the grace of God to see themselves as in the same desperate need as was Rahab of help, the same need of deliverance from sin and judgment as she was, when they hear the blast of trumpets, by the way, Revelation has seven trumpets, when they hear the blast of trumpets, they will not be scared and see them as a sign of impending judgment upon them, but they will be excited because they sound the coming of one who brings rescue. All of our sins, like Rahab's, are as scarlet. But Jesus, who is the better Joshua, he has come. He has borne my shame on a cross so that the crimson stains of sin in my life can be washed out fully by his blood. I know no better detergent than the blood of Jesus. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, we stand before his throne. Our Joshua is mighty to save. And I believe that God is looking for a Joshua generation who will see the Jerichos ahead as he sees them. They're born again. They have committed their lives to Jesus. They've been baptized. They've given all to him. And now they want to stay close to him through the word and through prayer. They're going to submit to God's purposes for their life. They're going to believe that he is able to overcome every Jericho that may threaten their entrance into the promised land. There was a story about a little boy who loved to read. And he signed up to receive by mail a country and western series of books. It would send them one out at a time. And he loved this series of books. Because in this series of books was the story of Sheriff Brown. And he loved Sheriff Brown. He was the kind of role model that every boy just wanted to be like when they grew up. Sheriff Brown was strong and he would put the baddies in jail. But he was always kind and he had a good character. Well, one day, the book, the next book in the series arrived in the mail. He went to it, he opened it, he ripped it. It was so exciting, ripped it open, read it. And as he started to read, he started to become afraid because as he read this story, there was a new villain in the story. And this villain seemed to be attacking Sheriff Brown when he least expected it. It looked like Sheriff Brown was going to be killed at one spot. And so he closed the book and he decided, I'm not going to read it because he was too afraid of what was going to happen. A few days after that, his mother was doing something in the house and she heard him shout, if you only knew what I knew. And so she put her things down and she came into the room and she said, what are you saying that for? And he said, mom, 
You remember how I thought Sheriff Brown was about to be killed by that bad guy? Well, today I decided that I would go to the back of the book and I'd read the last chapter. And so, Mom, I went to the back of the book and Sheriff Brown won. (laughs) And so now I'm reading back from where I started off, where I left off. And, Mom, every time I see this bad guy doing all of this stuff, I just can't help but think if he only knew what I knew. When we read the back of the book, God wins the battle. At the back of the book, he wins. And because he will win, if we're on his side, we will win as well. It's a bit like when you watch, if you watch the sports, like rugby, like some people. And (laughs) when you watch, even though you are not on the team, when this team gets a try, You think you've got a try. You're as happy as though you got the try. But you didn't get the try. The team got the try. But you feel like you win with them. And it's the same with God. When he wins, if we're with him, we will win as well. So friend, what is your Jericho? To Israel, Jericho was a pagan city of unbelief, a strategic city of importance and a place of human impossibility. Maybe your Jericho is a person who seems so shut up to the gospel of Jesus. Maybe your Jericho is a habit. Maybe it's something else that you can't break. I want to invite you today to surrender your Jericho to Jesus. He excels in doing the undoable. Jesus assures us that not even the gates of death can prevail against his people. You see, through Christ... Every massive wall that seems to prevent you from the promised land can become a stepping stone over which you can climb. When Jesus comes, and we know he is coming soon, he's coming back as a victorious warrior, a triumphant warrior. There will be a trumpet sound when he comes. The dead in Christ are going to wake up when they hear the call of the life giver, the same head that wore the crown of thorns will be wearing a royal crown. Kanye West may not have everything right, but he got the title of his CD right. Jesus is king. He is the king of kings, and he will come back in all his power and all his glory. As I close off, this is my literal last thing to say. Testimonies, volume four, page 164. God works mightily for a faithful people who obey his word. Without questioning or doubt, the majesty of heaven with his army of angels leveled the walls of Jericho without human aid. The armed warriors of Israel had no cause for glory in their achievements. All was done through the power of God. Let the people give up self and the desire to work after their own plans Let them humbly submit to the divine will and God will revive their strength and bring freedom and victory to his children. Has the message made sense? If the message has made sense and you say, Lord, there's a Jericho in my life. I've identified it and now I want to give it to you. Would you bow your heads as we pray and I'll give you that moment in prayer to do just that. 
Dear Lord, thank you that you are the better Joshua. And whatever Jerichos we may face, you're the one who will fight them and you're the one who will give us victory. As we bow our heads now, Lord, we've become very aware that the Jerichos we face, perhaps we've been looking at the walls too long. We look to you and we ask you, Lord, to give us strength to trust you day by day, knowing that you will bring the victory. You will overcome. And so, Lord, we give you all the honor and praise. And as Joshua assumed the posture of a servant, ready to do your will, so too we open our hearts to you now. And we say, Lord, we want to be your servants too. We'll do whatever you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au. Fountain View Academy is now going to sing, He Leadeth Me.
Welcome to God's Favorite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favorite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is about Enoch, the man who could not be found. And the scripture references are from Genesis 5 and 22, Hebrews chapter 1 and Jude verse 14. My name is Enoch, and as I tell my story, I am still in a state of wonder. It must be thousands of earth years since God took me to heaven. I now live in eternity. There is no such thing as time here as on earth. I did not stay in heaven where God dwells, but have been living on another world far out in space. I could see its sun when I was on earth, just a faint shimmering star. But of course, this world was invisible from earth. I cannot explain how I traveled here. When I arrived in heaven, God commissioned an angel to explain so many things to me that are not known far away on earth where I was born. God also gave me the power to travel through the universe. How it happens, I do not know. It is just God's power that takes me wherever I decided to go. I sense the indescribable speed only by watching the suns and the worlds flash by. I often think of my life on earth when that world was still so very beautiful, even though sin had entered and set it on its downward course. Today I am inspecting my flock of sheep. The pasture is luxuriant in this area, as it is everywhere, even though there are marked signs that sin has affected God's wonderful world of nature. It has also affected humanity for the worse and made many people very evil. My father's name is Jared. I was born only 622 years after Earth was created, so I was able to speak with Adam for over 300 years before he died. My father lived even longer than Adam, 962 years. It was from him and other God-fearing people that I learned about the Creator. I spent a lot of time with Adam, the father of the human race, and with great-great-great-great-grandmother Eve. Though she was 622 years old when I was born, she was still very beautiful. Her hair had some grey strands and there were hints of lines on her lovely face. I remember thinking when I was a boy growing up that if I had a daughter, I would want her to be as lovely as Eve. The more I learned about Adam of the perfect world as it was before sin entered and caused such devastation to the human race, the more I wanted to have been a part of that amazing time before sin. I realised that was impossible in one way, but possible in another. I determined to resist the evil one when he tried to entice me to go against God's will. I lifted up my voice in prayer and praise to God as I looked toward heaven. Then I knew that God would keep me close to him. Early in my life, I made a covenant with God that I would always be his child, and I knew that I would need him to keep me in his way. I kept in my mind all that Adam told me of what God had explained to him in Eden. He told how things were in heaven and the reason why he had made this world, and especially our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
Adam explained how God came down to visit them in Eden at the end of each day to tell them more of his ways and his will for them. Adam was also able to tell God of his progress in naming all the animals, birds, trees and plants and the flowers of every kind that decorated the earth. He also told me of that fateful day when he and Eve disobeyed God, bringing sin into this world. This beautiful world could now only be saved by the death of the member of the Godhead who became known as Jesus Christ. When I was 65 years of age, two wonderful things happened. First, a son was born to us, whom we named Methuselah. From that age, my walk with God deepened. I had his presence continually with me for 300 years, during which time my wife and I were blessed with many sons and daughters. It was during this time, too, that I preached God's message of warning and love to all who would listen. I told them of a flood that would cover the world and only those would survive who took advantage of God's way to escape. In his mercy, God sent his angels to reveal many things to me and to explain what I could not understand. Then, on a day that I shall never forget, the angel who was with me at the time took my hand and told me that God had told the angel that he was to bring me with him when he returned to heaven. A thousand thoughts flashed through my mind. I knew that God would care for my wife and children, and who was I to thwart God's plan for me? In a moment we had left earth, and after a miraculous journey that took in so much but passed so quickly, we were at heaven's gate, where the gatekeeper angel beckoned with a smile for us to enter. This told me that word of God's plan for me was known to everyone here. As I am now living in eternity, in the place where God dwells, I have learned and experienced so much. My special angel instructor tells me that there is so much more for me to know that even eternity will not be long enough to know it all. So I wait, perfectly content. I wait for the time when Earth's history will be wound up. The reign of sin will be ended and I will see my family again. Since God took me to his heavenly world, I have realised more fully that my decision to walk closely with him was the best decision I ever made. It meant that God could trust me in his great eternity and I would never be far from him at any time. A walk with God, I did not realise how far that would take me. I now have a quiz for you. How old was Enoch when he died? Did Enoch live during Adam's lifetime? What happened to Enoch when he was 65 years of age? What age was Enoch when God took him to heaven? Did Enoch worry about the family he had left behind? You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.
This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.